Hey guys, Ryan DeMint from Chasing Happiness Podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. This week on the podcast, we have Cheryl and Jeanette. I almost mispronounced her name, guys. I have a problem. Cheryl is a author and in in, she has a best-selling book, The Imposter That Lies With, excuse me, Lies Within. She's also a mind guide and she's also a speaker. But she has some really cool things for you entrepreneurs out there that she would like to discuss and share what she's doing in her business. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ryan. So good to be here. Thank you for coming on. So before we get into what you're doing, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, you know, I at this point, I would say my career has been has spanned more than 30 years. So it's it, I've been out there for a while and and I've had the opportunity, actually, the honor of being able to see business, the business world from both the entrepreneur side. I've had four ventures. This is really my fourth now. And I've also been a senior executive for a couple of very large billion dollar companies. So, so I've seen it from the inside there. And then even with one of my companies, I worked with entrepreneurs, medium, small to small organizations, some large as well, uh, but really helping them. So I'm a business strategist, a marketing executive. I work a lot with organizational health and wellness. So, so that's kind of a little bit about me, but you know, there's, there's so many interesting <laughs> stories along the way and woven through all those experiences has been this imposter syndrome, this, this, you know, this feeling like, um, you know, it's it's really a disconnect. It's a psychological pattern where someone feels like they're not good enough or worthy or deserving in spite of their accomplishments. So despite my accomplishments, I would still question myself. I don't mean the normal self-doubt, but I mean, that's not really me. Are people going to figure out I'm not as good as they thought I was? And And that's really, that's the experience. That's what people grapple with. Before we get into that, and because I want to dive into that, Tell the listeners a little bit about your businesses that since this is your fourth, a little bit about the other businesses that you have too. Yeah. Well, when I first went out on my own, because I had been in the corporate world and you know, I was more at a director level, but I had um I my last position before I went out on my own, I had 85 people report to me. And I that's where I really um honed in with this you know, focus on organizational health. I was just, I created management uh, programs for the people in our organization and leadership, and I really helped them to excel um, and be happy in that. And so I had kind of done this on my own without any intervention. And I finally went out and realized that there was a methodology around this that really aligned with what I did called Human Performance Improvement. So that was my first company. It was called Performance Alliance. But very quickly, a lot of people started tapping me on the shoulder for things like PR and marketing and writing and some of my other competencies that they knew I had. Um, And as a single mom out there, I would just say yes. (laughs) You know, I had a a young child in the other room and I had a mortgage and I was head of my household. I thought, well, I'm not going to say no to anything. And pretty soon I found myself um, in the early 2000s, just really the bulk of my work was more around marketing and PR. And so I developed my second company and and then that morphed into another larger company. that was a boutique firm that really 
worked with people. And so I worked with companies and I did some executive coaching and worked with individuals. And then I really realized that my roots are in health and wellness. And so I became an integrative nutrition health coach, an integrative hypnotherapist. I did an advanced certification in um, a clinical certification in stress and anxiety and emotional regulation and advanced certification in cognitive behavioral neuroscience. All that to say, because that I want to have a lot of tools in my tool belt because I'm an integrator, you know, I'm a holistic practitioner and I'm an integrator. So now I have a company, Amgenet Wellness Inc. Um, and I have an academy. And so I do programs like um, to help people pass self-sabotage and help people with their self-talk. And I work primarily with individuals and entrepreneurs in that organization, but I'm also... <laughs> I know I've got a lot going on. I'm also working on the corporate side. So I have a new company uh, partnership uh, called Reimagine um, with, you know, my my partner is the founder of the gender intelligence movement and gender intelligence group and just a world-renowned leader in that that field. And so that's very exciting. So I also have that going on in the corporate side. You've got your your hands full with uh, everything mm-hmm. that you're going on, but I've got to ask the question: Out of everything that you have going on, what is your number one passion? What what really drives you in all this? What drives me is when I see people get past their own self limitation, right? The self imposed okay. limitations. I love to also help companies at the corporate level with the culture and the process and the pieces that support those individuals. But the place that we always have the most control, and I don't like the word word control, actually, I like to use the word choice, is in ourselves, right? We always have the choice in how the thoughts we put in our head, the way we speak to ourselves, the way we choose to respond. And when I see people surpass these self-imposed limitations that just tells me I'm on my right path. So I've got to ask the question, why you differentiate between choice and uh, sorry, choice. And what was the other word? I'm sorry. Control. Control. There we go. Choice and control. What, what differentiates you using those two different words? So Ryan, I would like you and anyone listening, really, I would like to invite you just invite you to ponder the idea that control is a myth. I'd like you to invite you to think about control as um, there really is no such thing as control. I'd like you to invite you to think about just giving up this notion of control. It can feel a little scary, right? It's like, oh, wait a minute. So many of us end up becoming perfectionists. And, or having that perfectionist behavior, I should say, experiencing that. Um, And I use the word experience, so we'll have to talk about that. Um, But so many of us jump into these controlling types of behaviors and traits Mm. because we didn't have control at that point, or we felt like we didn't have control. Things were out of our control. But the truth is that in any instance, we really don't have control, even if we feel like we do. What we really have is choice and influence. And if we're exhibiting that choice and that influence enough, it can feel like we're controlling a situation or an outcome. But how often do we feel like we're in control and we're really not, and the outcome doesn't turn out to be what we intended, right? 
So I totally, I, I totally where you're where you're at. I, I I use control a little differently than you do, but I I totally can agree because when you take that control and you act that way, and then it doesn't turn out the way you wanted, and then it just sends us down another rabbit hole. I hundred percent agree. I I couldn't. I couldn't disagree with that whatsoever. I, that's why I was trying to get to that point of choice control. Uh, we got to figure that one out. So that's, that's good. I like that. That's we, I mean, we, we can go down a rabbit hole in this one because choice, I mean, we all have choices in life. We, we have choices on how we take care of our health, you know, what we do on a daily basis, but can we control, you know, what happens in the day? No. I mean, there's just, there's only so much you can actually do, but the choice of being positive and making sure that you do the right things for yourself and keep yourself in the right frame of mind. I, I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I broached this and I've heard people sometimes get hung up almost overthinking and wanting to focus on yeah. proving me wrong. Why is control really something we need? But the truth is the point of this exercise isn't so much to focus on control, but rather to take the focus off of control and to put the focus on choice, on influence. Why? Because that creates an environment for us to be much more flexible and adaptable. Really? And happier. And happier. And happier. It's like, you know, it's, let me give you a really simple, stupid example this morning, (laughs) like, like a life lifestyle, not business example, but this morning, you know, I had gone to the store, so we're out of certain ingredients and things. And I always like to make breakfast for my husband and I didn't have certain things like avocados out, right. Or, you know, uh, orange juice is fresh, whatever it is. The first thought that went into my mind was, you know, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do right now about it. I'll just work with what I have. I'll get them as soon as I can. It is what it is. So if we take that to the business level, how often do we have something that comes up where we miss a flight? You know, the flight changes. We're trying to get to a client meeting or we're trying to connect and our internet goes out or we have the wrong link or someone doesn't show up that's supposed to show up. Mm -hmm. So often these things happen and we can go into panic mode and frustration because we're not in control anymore of the situation and the outcome the way we had envisioned it or we can go with it the way it is it is what it is i need to find another flight i need to communicate i need to see if that person's going to be able to show up or make sure that i'm prepared to to talk about their part in this proposal or whatever that is, whatever that is, we just kind of need to flow through it. Otherwise, where do we end up? We end up overthinking, you know, panic, stress, and eventually burnout. I I always joke about, I have a plan B for everything, but I truly just plan myself in my head. Like you said, if something goes awry, it can throw your whole day off. So if you, if you take that plan and say, okay, I mean, I'm looking on the other side of my camera and I got a whiteboard and I've got, I've got a deadline of tomorrow because I'm, uh, we're doing an affordable housing project that I've got to get all the financials in. Didn't wait till the last second. Unfortunately, my bookkeeper got COVID and guess what? I can't change that. So what do I do? I have to improvise. So I go in, I, I'm, I'm a financial guy. I can do a lot of it, but I can't do some of it because there's some of that's over my head and I know that. So what do we do? 
I got to go find somebody else to do it. And that's just, that's just life. But you, it's so amazing that we let these things throw us off our game, which then puts us in a position in life to where there's, I, I call it, we have, we, we sit on the couch and we just do nothing about life. And then you have the climbers that want to take life on and say, I'm going to change and move forward. And we, we typically, when this happens, falls back, we fall back into that place of being sedentary physically and mentally on the couch. And we're sitting there watching Netflix and this is just painting the picture. And we wonder why we don't get what we're looking for out of life. And we don't keep pushing forward and understanding that life does happen, but it doesn't have to control, like you said, what happens into us. We have to find a way to get around it, work through it. Uh, as I say, it's okay to have a pity party, but you got to get back up, learn from it and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, let's just face it. If this scenario comes up and it just, it just did for you and you went through this in panic mode and stress mode and then did the fight or flight. So now you're, you're fleeing, you're either fighting it and you're in panic or you're fleeing and you're going to go, you know, Netflix out or whatever it is. <laughs> You know, it, 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 what, how does that help you with happiness or productivity? At the end of the day, you need, you have a deadline, right? Or if you flow through this, if you do, if you choose to put a different thought in your mind, because it begins with that, I'm going to choose to say, you know what, this happened. It is what it is. What are the choices? Let's get creative instead of panicked. Let's get curious instead of worried. And how more likely is it that, A, the things that you can do, you're going to do more easily and more quickly, right? Because you can actually focus. And B, the things you can't do, how likely is it that you're going to find, what, whether it's by networking into it or doing a search or whatever it is, the right person that can pinch hit for you? How, more, how much more likely if you choose to flow rather than to fight. You know, I was on a podcast where somebody said, now, how do you tell our entrepreneurs what they need to do to, and she used the word fight. I think she used the word fight or, you know, with their, and I struggle or push through. And I said, stop struggling, stop fighting. And it was like, boom, what? What, what, wait, this isn't supposed to be a fight. Don't, don't I have to struggle at every no. juncture? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. As I say, I'm a two-time trier. I've had two failed businesses before this third one. And uh, all those struggles have created who I am today. But the one thing we don't talk about in entrepreneurship, and in, I'm in this group of other entrepreneurs and we do podcasts together and we try to help struggling entrepreneurs come on our podcast and talk about it. Um, is we don't sit down and say, okay, we failed at something. It is okay to fail, but it's not okay to give up. You have to get back up again and figure out, like you said, a plan B or a way around it or something to get you back on the path. You can't just keep on fighting and going backwards because most of the time when you're fighting and struggling, you're not going to move forward. Uh, and, and it's, I spent 25 years in, in corporate America I ran call centers, collection agencies. I, I pretty much underwritten any type of financial in, excuse me, instrument that you can actually think of. 2,500, 3,000 people reporting to me. 
you know, the one thing that I never learned in that role, in any of those roles was to be a fisherman. I never learned how to fish for myself. I was always fat and happy, got a paycheck every two weeks, got a nice bonus at the end of the year, but never learned how to catch and make sure that my food was on my table every single day, month, whatever you want to say. And that's why I failed two times. And that was my struggle. I had to go back and learn how to fish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, um, how do you, I, I just said this to someone the other day. I said, I wish they taught people how to be resourceful. I wish they taught curiosity and creativity in B-School. You know, why aren't they teaching these things in school? How do you figure things out? Because that ultimately is one of the most important, you know, skill sets that people need. But I'd love to, if I can, I had alluded to something and then you brought the, the words up and I thought, I thought you might, I think you, I should say, I think you may be interested in this. So I, I think I alluded to this word I use experience. So, uh, so, yeah. so here, here's, here's sort of an interesting thing that I talk about a lot. Um, if, you know, if our consciousness is comprised of our subconscious mind and our conscious mind, right? You you understand this concept of our conscious mind and then kind of what's below the surface and holds our experiences, our emotions, and really all the useful and useless facts yeah. that we've gained throughout our whole life because it would be overload for a conscious mind. And if the conscious mind is approximately 10 to 12% of that consciousness and the rest, 88 to 90% is kind of below the surface. So what happens is the subconscious um, is critical, is non-critical. It's literal. So it believes whatever you tell it. So if the subconscious mind is literal, the words matter, right? Ideas matter, our emotions matter. It's reading all of these things, our thoughts, our self-talk, our words, the things we say out loud. And the energy, like the vibration of that, you know, when you're sad or you're happy or you're excited or whatever that is, or you're lethargic. So it's reading all of this, right? And it's taking it literally. So one of the things that I really trained myself to do, and I've shared this with others and they've really loved it is, and I use this a lot when I talk about imposter syndrome, is this idea that we're experiencing something. I use the word experience. Rather than I'm struggling or I'm suffering because so many people would say, but I'm struggling with imposter syndrome. I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that or I'm, 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 you know, I have imposter syndrome. And so rather than owning it, I would say, well, how about if you don't own it? How about if you are experiencing this, this body of symptoms that we call imposter mm -hmm. syndrome, right? What if, wouldn't that feel easier to shift out of, to change, to overcome than something that you are struggling or suffering with or something that you have and becomes part of your identity, right? And the answer is always, yeah, yeah, that does feel easier, right? And it's not that we aren't actually really struggling. It's not that actually people don't suffer. It's that our subconscious mind is always listening and it's always responding. And so when we change our words, even if that's the real feeling, when we change our words, it believes us and it feels easier. And so it's just a bridge. It's just like a, br and 
easier bridge to get over something to make take that next step if that makes sense. What do you think of that? Right. Oh, it, it totally makes sense. I, I I simplify it as my inners have to match my outers. I'm on the same concept, and if they don't line up, um, typically our mind takes over and puts us in a, in a place that we where we don't want to be. I and I and I use this as a this is just. I call it a dumb example, but it's kind of where we're at in society today is we think the internet is going to give us the instant gratification that we need. So we're going to go post a TikTok or some type of viral video and we're going to be millionaires overnight. And it's like, wait a minute, what happened to hard work and putting all this out? And it's like, it's such a small percentage of people that actually get in that category, but the rest of us have to work for it. And through, you know, my podcasts, I, I get people connecting with me. that are like, well, we want to be like you. And I'm like, you want to, sh- you really want to work at your social media and your business for eight years and know that it's a journey and it's going to get better. It's not an overnight success. And, and it's been a lot of sweat and tears, a lot of pity parties. But the one thing I can tell everybody is if it's your passion, you'll never give up on it. You'll never go negative on it. And you'll always want to come back to it. And people don't see that because as human beings, we're wired as for instant gratification. We don't like the long, I call it the long game, the marathon, whatever you want to say. We don't like that. And it we struggle. And I have to use struggle there because that is a struggle in life because it, everybody that I meet, I talk to through a coaching program that I, I mentor people through, they're struggling with that. And I just tell them, you have to step back and figure out what's your why, what's your passion. And then can you monetize it and all three things line up, it'll happen, but you got to be persistent and consistent with it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's brilliantly said. And I agree 100%. And, you know, this cognitive reframing, just kind of changing the words or changing the thought, choosing Choosing the thoughts. Yeah, exactly. It really begins with awareness. Like, what are the thoughts? Yeah, you know, what is my self-talk actually? When we start with awareness, then we can get more into the insight. Where did this come from? What's the root? And that's kind of this journey I go through in the book. I go through these four parts of awareness into insight. Then we figure out where are things not aligned? Yeah, because the journey isn't always easy. The, the, the hiccups come, the blocks come, the having to kind of maneuver around, or as we were talking in the beginning of this, flow through something that wasn't really on the agenda. This was not the way this was supposed to go, right? Yes. Um, and being able to choose different words and different ways of seeing it you know, is, is really powerful. When you were talking about social media, what popped into my mind is when someone's experiencing imposter syndrome, so let's say somebody that is really experiencing an 85% of the population experiences this, by the way. Um, so that example you gave of the TikTok video going viral. So somebody that's experiencing imposter syndrome might see that go viral. And instead of being able to celebrate it or even celebrate it for very long, it might be very short. They'll, the conversation in their head is, oh, that was just lucky. That wasn't really me. It can't happen again. Yeah. You know, who am I? You know, that, you know, that wasn't really me. It was somebody else gave me that idea. I mean, that we'll come up with a million excuses to not actually just celebrate that. 
and say, there's a win. That felt good. Look at me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, I totally agree with that. And it's, I don't know. I, I guess the other analogy is um, when I do this, I, I don't do it a lot. I, I get referrals from some boss, old bosses of mine that were in corporate America. And I will coach pretty much, and not pretty much they are, broke attorneys, doctors, and airline pilots. And they all have one thing in common. They're all arrogant. And for me, it's like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's, it's just, it doesn't bother me. And it's, it's, it's quite intriguing to hear that they put on their pants differently than everyone else. Cause they think they've got a Juris doctorate or they've, or they've got a, uh, you know, an MD behind their name. And I'm like, last time I checked, I woke up, I put my pants on too. Don't you, or do you put on your right leg or your left leg first or both legs, whatever, until you can actually break that ice and understand where they're coming from the elitist standpoint from, from their mindset. They don't realize that they're spending $30,000 in a weekend on, on women, booze and all this other stuff. And they don't, they don't see why they're broke or they've got a uh, $250,000 car and they don't understand why they're broke. And some of these guys in, in ladies, uh, not many ladies, that's the other thing is most of my clients are, are men. And so it's like, okay, what is wrong with you guys? You know, it's like you, you start wanting to psychoanalyze them, but it boils down to this. They're chasing the Joneses. The Joneses are broke. The Joneses are going to be bankrupt at some point. They're just trying to keep up with other attorneys, other doctors, other airline pilots. And it's like until you get them to shift that mindset that I need to focus on my lane, my practice, my firm, whatever the case is, they're never going to succeed. And by the time they get to me, I'm kind of their last end before they file bankruptcy. Uh, otherwise, they won't be able to practice. They, they won't be able to practice medicine. They won't be able to fly. There's a lot of regulations around that. So I'm kind of the end result. And a lot of them, it takes weeks upon weeks to just get them to say, yes, I'm going to have somebody that doesn't have a Juris Doctorate or a medical degree that's going to coach me, go through my business, go through my books uh, and tell me where I'm doing things wrong. It is, it is a lot to take on for one individual, but it's also very intriguing. And I learn a lot about humans through this process. And that's why I do it is because I want to learn about others and how they think. Uh, because it allows me to relate better because I'm just a direct guy. I speak my words. Uh, I don't mix them, but I know how to filter, but I also don't want to hurt someone's feelings at the same time. So I try to work that through, but at the end of the day, I care about other human beings, whether we agree on something or not, I don't care. You're a human being. I'm a human being. I want you to live the best life you can. I want to live the best life I can. We can disagree and and move on, but that's just missing across a lot of things we do today it's kind of gone sorry mm -hmm. that was a long diatribe sorry no that's okay you know it's it's important because i think that we again we're, we're bumping up against our own self-limitations and and blind spots right and blind spots can be blinding and it's not easy to stop and do the inner work and certainly when ego jumps up you know that's just a little bit of and we all have ego, you know, I don't think yes. that we may make ego go away or we make fear go away or make doubt go away. I have something I talk about in the book called the healthy self, where all of these emotions and traits and parts of us, they're healthy and they're adaptive. And we want to look at these 
as part of us, but in a place where we can adapt and use them in the way they're meant to be. Fear is our great protector. Doubt is our discernment vessel. We need to compare ourselves to others, right? Because that's not, that's how we know where we stand. It's not stop comparing. It means comparing in a healthy way rather than comparing up or comparing down, looking up at others and think you're not good enough or down at others thinking you're better than they are, you know, and letting your ego help you guide because if I'm not for myself, who will be for me yet I'm for myself alone? Who am I? So to some degree, it's, it's, there's a healthy zone for that, but it's difficult to look within. It's difficult to have that degree of self-honesty and if someone's been pr- doing practices of avoidism and escapism long enough, you know, it's, it's easy. It's easier to do those things than to make change. We, we in, have innate an innate resistance to change, you know, kind of like you were saying, right. And you were saying people don't want to do the hard work. Well, we actually have, I talk about this in a four part series. I do on change on resistance. I should say, but one of them is, is the effort resistance to doing too much effort. We want things to be easy and it's wired into us. We want to, that's wired into us. Actually, we are always, our brain is looking for the path of least resistance. So when we know that we say, okay, this is actually worth putting more effort into. And I need to bypass my programming and put the effort in. Here we have to actually understand ourselves to push back past that. I, I agree with that one hundred percent. So then, I guess the question I have to ask is how do you how, how do how do we work through that? And and I and I say this from your from looking at your standpoint where you're going. I have some ideas, but I don't want to answer for you. But the other question is if we we get past that with everything that we have bombarding us on a daily basis from the, you know, social media, email, internet, um, how do you discern and decipher, tune out, or however you want to look at it to get us to that place where we're as managing our lane, not trying to compare up or down, but we stay flat and keep a good solid eye on ourselves? Yeah. Well, the answer to that is to take it as a holistic approach. Understand that there's inner work that needs to be done and there's outer work. And so the inner work is really understanding going within. We got to stop the escapism, avoidism, whether it's, you know, narcotics or, or booze or, you know, the screens, you know, the Netflix or the, whatever those things are that we're using to distract or escape with. We need to realize that's keeping us what, what what we're trying to avoid doing is looking within. It's like, I don't want to look at the scale. I don't want to look at the bank account. I don't want to look at my uncomfortable emotions or my self-imposed limitations, my limiting beliefs. I don't want to understand the root causes. And so there are processes. I want to give you the high level because obviously they're in a few minutes. I can't give you the whole, you know, this is how you do it. But so it's doing the inner work. That's it's not the only thing that alone won't get you there, but it's maybe the most important part of this. And it's the piece that I think people really resist because it it's hard. You know, it's not 
it's not as hard as people think it is actually. We perceive it as much harder than it is. It's actually a really freeing process and lightening and enlightening process because actually as we express these emotions and we have the self-discovery, our whole body lightens up, our mind lightens up, and we're able to move forward much more quickly. So it's really an interesting process and not as hard as people perceive, you know, reality and perception are often different, but a lot of people don't even know where to start. So that's why I do the work I do, because I help people to have a starting point where to go with that. The second part, so that's, I want you to think of the inner work is almost like reprogramming, right? Reprogramming, like thinking about a computer, you're going to, you have some faulty programs, you have maybe some Trojan forces in there and some, you know, things that are just not going well. We do that tune up. And some of the programs are good. So it's not like we throw out the good stuff. We just figure out, filter out, figure out the bad programming. The outside in is twofold. So one is actually the actual part of us individually. It's repatterning the mind. So the outside in, our mind, our brain has what are called neural pathways. So neurons connect. Every time we have a repetitive, repetitive, um, action, for example, we know we do something over and over, our mind learns that, right? And then it goes and it creates these neural pathways so we can do these things on autopilot, right? Or semi-autopilot, meaning we put much less thought into it. Yeah. So this happens as well with our beliefs. This happens as well with our thoughts. This happens with our self-talk. And we're so unaware of it. Our self-talk is something we really, really tune out. Or the rumination, which is really just unproductive thinking. So all of this starts to go on autopilot. So we need to actually re-pattern the mind. We need to create new neural pathways. And we need to strengthen them to the point where the new pathway is so strong, it becomes the path of least resistance. And the old one becomes what the neuroscientists will call extinct. It doesn't go away, but it's no longer the path of least resistance. It's not the natural path to go down. We've done the new behavioral or thinking pattern or self-talk, or we've shifted those beliefs enough and practiced it enough that it's a new neural pathway. So that's part of it. So it's reprogramming, it's repatterning. And the overwhelm the, that causes the burnout, some of that is self-imposed. Some of that is the overthinking, overdoing over-pleasing that comes from within. That's part of these archetypes I talk about in my book, The Imposter Lies Within. And part of it is our environment. So what is going on in your environment, at work, at home? And if you work from home, in your office, in your work, are things organized? Do you have a schedule, a way to process ideas, to have a to-do list that's manageable? Do you have a way to set priorities and really understand what the priorities are? You know, can you use your internal mechanisms, your thought patterns to tell yourself, you know, it's a long list, but it's okay. I've got it. I'll get through it. I always do. Can you, can you use this? Can this start to come together with the outside? You know, everybody is a little different. So a lot of people will say, you just have to have your entire outer environment really, really organized. But some people don't need that. Some people can have a little bit of a creative mess 
and other parts of their business really organized and that works for them. Yes. You know, you know what I mean? Like I, I used oh, yeah. to be a perfectionist. I think I've overcome the perfectionism. It's in the healthy zone now, but even as a perfectionist and even being a Virgo, if anyone's into astrology, cause I'm not really that much into astrology. I don't know much about it, but, but people talk about it. And I'm like, I'm really not a person because, you know, you know, you think everything has to be so neat and it doesn't for me. Things can be a little bit messy, but I know where everything is. And then I like it when I clean it up and my, you know, but things have to be really like my books have to be in order and my files have to be in order and I have to know where things are and I have to be really organized in a way, but that's what works for me. And someone else is going to be a little bit different. It just has to be a place where you understand that it's not contributing to overwhelm for you. And if anything, it's lessening the overwhelm, right? When we get really busy, when we have so much to do, you have a way. So that's some of these techniques and tools and tricks that people, there's some great you know, people and companies out there, this is all they do. They help people with this. But so many people go in as that, as the starting point. I want the time management tool. You know, I want the process to organize. I want to just clean up my office, but they haven't done the inner work and they haven't repatterned the mind, right? So that inner turmoil still comes out as, yeah, everything's Looks like it's manageable, but it's not. It's not. And I, we're never going to get through this. And what am I going to do? And we, we're going into this chronic stress that's unending and we're getting burned out. Do you know that the group that I'm a senior associate for and my business partner with Reimagine did a study of over 1,700 executives, 1,740 to be exact. And they asked, what is the number one thing that you are grappling with? 92%, 92%, statistically, that is unthinkable, responded burnout. Hmm. I was thinking time management. Burnout. That is alarming. Wow. Burnout. Burnout. In fact, we are, Barbara and I are, are writing another book right now. Um, called tapped out and it is about burnout and so much of what we do and so much of what i do with entrepreneurs but also what we're doing in the corporate arena is to deal with this epidemic because it truly is of epidemic proportions it's 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 um it's hitting entrepreneurs you know so you you look at productivity you look at happiness mm-hmm Look at happiness, right? Because that's what you're about. And when we're burnt out, we're lethargic. We're not happy. We're exhausted. Yes, and uh, corporate America did that to me too. I uh, know that. I would actually have to ask permission to be able to use the restroom because I was double, triple booked all day on, on meetings. And it's like, my gosh, how did I get anything accomplished? Even, even with my best skills, uh, two administrative assistants, sometimes three to, you know, manage everything still is just, there's no way. I mean, you get, you get to that level, um, and you're managing two, three, 4,000 people. It's, 
it's a disaster at times. And, and it's, I always joke about it is for every hundred that you have out there, you've got 20% that you're going to have to manage uh, out, unfortunately, in that type of arena. And uh, it seemed to get a little bit bigger as the numbers got bigger. And it, just for the simple fact from a percentage ratio is because it all starts on the front end and we can go into a whole nother conversation, but we don't have enough time for that today. But it's all about finding the right individuals to fill positions, but that position's also including yourself and making sure that you're talking yep. about burnout. It, you know, you, you know, from my last employer, that's, you know, almost eight years ago. Um, I, I was there for 12 years and they had a culture of, you know, I want to take care of you and, and make sure you're okay. But they didn't, it was the, it was the conversation piece, but it wasn't the action piece. They just expected more and more. If you kept on taking more and more on, they kept on giving you more and more. And it that's I can see why that many of those executives that you're talking about are burnt out because most of the time when you get to that level, and I don't know what level, you know, that you're are you are these C suite people that you guys interviewed or um it's senior managers in the Beth. Okay. I mean, so you get to that level, you're 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 hardwired, you're hard charged. I mean, it's it's close to an entrepreneurial you know, mindset, you're running a small business at that point. Um, there's a lot on you. And I, I, I can see that. I mean, there's a lot of it out there, but all changes, you can make a change. It's just how we, how we handle change and, and what we want to do. It's back to, like you said, you got to work about with that inner struggle first and understand what you really want to do. Maybe that corporate job's not for you or another job's for you or whatever the case is. But until you find what the inner when your inners match your outers it, it's it's hard to go anywhere in life and people just don't want to hear that that they want to step back and say oh my gosh i got to make a, a career change or i got to make a change in this or that that frightens people and it's like i don't understand that because i've made plenty of changes in my life and i enjoy it but it also makes me happier i work six to seven days a week but i get to fluctuate my schedule based upon what i have going on but at the end of the day, I never sacrifice time with my family, my dogs, my parents. It, it doesn't get sacrificed. I just build my schedule around what I need to do in my personal life. And that works for me. And you got to find something that works for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I almost I keep going back to the beginning of what you said, where you said you were managing all these people. And you had this big job and you were super busy, right? And that's like so many of us, whether we're entrepreneurs or, you know, it, whether we're signing the front or the back of a paycheck is the way I look at it. Yep. Uh, but when you said that you had to ask permission to go to the bathroom. Now, that that's is metaphorically, that, but yes, it was true. I mean, the metaphor, yeah. I wasn't asking anybody, but I literally would have to duck out of meetings so I could use the restroom or get something to eat. Oh, I see what you're saying because you were that busy. Okay, you didn't actually have to ask permission, but it felt that way to you. Yeah, because you were that busy. Yeah. And so in those cases, it's so interesting because I say I was a president of a company and I was the chief marketing officer of another company, a very large, billion dollar company. And um, there was a culture where of micromanagement <laughs> uh, to a degree that that I, as president, running a, a whole company uh, and, uh, in the C-suite for the other, had to ask permission for something like a line item on a budget, like ordering paperclips. So that is a 
toxic culture. That is something that needs to be looked at at the organizational level. That now, something that happens within companies, and this can happen for entrepreneurs, because when we're talking about entrepreneurs, an entrepreneur means you're the head of your organization. Your organization may be three people, and it may be 30, and it may be 300. You've got a company. This is your company. So when people are really busy, we, we need to understand a couple of things. One is that some of this is self-imposed. I used to walk into meetings and I would think I am, my plate is so overflowing. I've got to take things off my plate. And I would walk into a meeting and I would walk out with more on my plate, not less. Now, the truth is I was the one, not, not the company. Nobody was asking me to add more to my plate. I would come up with ideas and I would raise my hand and I would put more on my plate. I was the ultimate superhero and people pleaser. And I just, and I was an idea person. So the story I told myself was, you know what? I'm an idea person. I can make this happen. I can do anything. But I was burning myself out. But I was absolutely burning myself out. Now, the other side of that equation, and this is really, really important because it's neither one or the other. It's always both. There's the self-imposed side of this that we have to grapple with because so many people say that company burned me out. Well, wait a second, guys. What part of that, like me, was your part of that? What part of you was not setting boundaries, people pleasing, um, being the superhero like I was, you know, over perfecting everything, the perfectionist? What part of you contributed to that? Because those are the parts you can choose. You can get the insight and you can shift. And it's important for the organizational side because the organization, like you said, if you are going to show up and you are going to do things perfectly and you are going to um, take on the workload of three people, they're not going to say no. They're not going to say no. If every time something needs to be done and you raise your hand or they ask you and you always say yes and you don't say, look, I have all these other things on my plate. Which of these things would you like me to take off so that I can do this thing? If you do not set those boundaries, what are they going to do? They're going to keep giving you. So at the organizational level, this is really hard for companies but at the organizational level and at the management, at the different chairs of management in that organization, we need to address that. And we need to stop rewarding, overthinking, overpleasing, overdoing. We need to stop rewarding perfectionist behavior. We need to get people out of analysis, paralysis. It's good enough. Let's go. Let's go. It's okay that you made a mistake. That's a missed take. We iterate to great. That's okay. Let's go. Now, I know in certain occupations, you know, lawyers and doctors, they have a harder time with this in the technology. There's a heightened level of precision that's needed. And so it's like the line is a little bit blurred. Well, what's okay to say good enough for a doctor that has a life in their hands, especially a surgeon, it's not good enough to get pretty close. Yeah. To, you know, you know, it's not good enough to say, well, I nicked that artery or I took out the wrong kidney or whatever. That's not good enough. We need a different level of precision. But that being said, in most cases, 
we need to look at where things are good enough and keep going. And we need to look at, as individuals, we need to look at, and I'm not saying it's not, there aren't things going on in the organization that are, but what part of that is us? What part of this is self-imposed? And where do we actually have influence? Where can we be more influential in helping to change that cultural dynamic? Where can we step up and set our own boundaries? All very good information for sure. And we're coming up against a hard stop, but I wanted before we got to the end, how could everybody listening to the podcast get a hold of you? Absolutely. You know, if you know how to spell my name, it's really easy to get a hold of me. I know it's Cheryl with an S, so that is different. Um, but it is Cheryl with an S, so S-A-G-R-Y-L. And Jeanette is A-N-J-A-N-E-T-T-E. I was thinking I should do a, a jingle. A-N-J-A-N-E-T-T-E. <laughs> but if you if you look me up on social media, um, if you go to my website at CherylAngeanette.com, if you look me up on social media, um, my book is called The Imposter Lies Within, Silence Your Inner Critic, Tame Your Fear, Unleash Your Badassery. And, you know, I'd love to connect. I'd love to have you part of my world. I have a quiz on imposter syndrome, one on self-sabotage, so you can take those and um, yeah, always open to conversation. Well, thank you for coming on, Cheryl. It's been a great conversation. I will link your website and a link to your book in the show notes so everyone can get a hold of you. And uh, conversation was great. I love this. I mean, this is good stuff because we all struggle with it. And we have to finally make that decision to say, okay, I'm ready to get into a different place. And we got to start working on that inner struggle. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, so good to be here. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you for coming on.